part one of a discussion Tim and I have about the biblical theme of heaven and the biblical theme of earth and how they relate. We made a video uh, about this. It's on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Bible project. It's a five minute animated video. It gives you an overview of the idea. And if you've watched that video and you want to know more about what the Bible has to say about heaven, God's space and earth, our space and how they connect, these are the conversations for you. And I'm so excited that you're listening to them. They have been instrumental for me in my Christian faith. Also, the the song playing, uh, a lot of people have been asking, is by a band called Tents. They're here in Portland. They're really good friends of mine. One of my favorite bands right now. You can find them, tentsband.bandcamp.com. They have a, just a few tracks up there because it's a brand new band. All right. Heaven and Earth, part one. Here we go. All right, where should we start? The easiest place to start is where people in our culture, how they think about heaven. And where did those ideas of this non-material, kind of ephemeral reality in the clouds, but yeah. there's a gate where Peter's there. <clears throat> right. And people are seeing Yeah, in my mind, and... it's so abstract that I, I know it's not clouds. I know it's not a city on a cloud, but that's the only picture I really have. Yeah, those images are so widespread. But actually, but, but think about what those are. Those are they're caricatures. They're silly. Like these images to the modern mind have become so ridiculous. They're kind of like this throwback to a thing that pe- people used to think, but now we realize it's silly, so we'll kind of make it in to a caricature in movies right? Like comics. So at some point, people thought, oh, there might be something up there in the clouds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as we think about what might be in the clouds, mm-hmm. let's throw a city up there. Let's throw, I mean, who knows? Yeah. We've never yeah. been up there. I mean, yeah. We've never been to the clouds. Who knows what's up there? Right. And now we've been up there. Mm-hmm. We've cruised around a lot. Yeah. We've got a lot of photos. That's right. We have lots of trash floating up in heaven. <laughs> we've, we've brought a lot of trash up into there, into yeah. the orbit. Yeah. And uh, and there is no city. Right. There is no right. pearly gates. Um, but that, that image has remained. Mm-hmm. And so now it seems so silly, to your mm-hmm. point, yep. that yep. we haven't thrown away the image, but it's become this kind of absurd caricature. That's right. Yeah. So uh, to me, it's an interesting route which the biblical idea of heaven has ended up with that depiction of heaven in our culture. Like this idea of this is what Christians believe, and this is why we know they're stupid and silly. Right. This idea of heaven up in the clouds and that kind of thing. So how do we get there? Yeah, how do we get there? Um, So, and and it's like like most things, it's a series of half-truths or images or passages from the Bible that have been badly misunderstood or understood, ignoring their context in literary or ancient cultural context. So we kind of just, the way we started this video was just like, let's just study the word heaven Mm -hmm. and all the different ways that heaven is used in the Bible. And it's really interesting, super fascinating. Um, So... uh, this this trick might get old, but it, for me somehow it never gets old. Of where is the first time heaven appears in the Bible? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a staged. 
the, st- the stage one. John knows already. In Genesis 1-1. In the first sentence. It's the first sentence of the Bible. Um, so, yeah, in, uh, in the beginning, God made what we have in our Bibles, uh, the heavens and the earth. Now, that itself is really interesting. Yeah. Pl- it's plural, heavens. It's, right. We don't use that. Is it plural in, in every translation? Modern English. Ooh, good, good question. Let's look. Tim's typing at his Logos Bible software. Um, whoa, this is interesting. All of our modern translations have, in the beginning, God created the heavens. And NIV, ESV, New American Standard. But the King James 1611. The OG. Has heaven, singular. Singular heaven. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so here's what's literally uh, that's a true reflection. The Hebrew word shemayim. Uh, it's a well. There's debate about if it's a, a certain kind of special plural or regular plural, but it's plural. Mm. Um, the heavens, or in English we might say the skies. No, we wouldn't. We, we don't say the skies. We wouldn't say the skies. Lighting up the skies. Oh, you're right. Flying through, through the, the skies. Uh, through the skies. Where the do heavens. I feel like the skies appears in plural is in, that in English the, advertising that... or something? Some airline or something. The friendly Into skies. The, the friendly skies. That's what I'm thinking of. Who's that? Who's the friendly skies? I don't know. Come on. Uh, I'm going to go with United. The friendly skies. Which, by the way, is not the friendly skies. So I hope it's not them. The friendly is United. Oh! <laughs> yeah. The f- anyway. Yeah. Fly the friendly skies. Fly the okay. friendly skies. So In the an heavens. unfriendly airline. That should be the second part of that tagline. <laughs> um, so in uh, the heavens, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, what that doesn't mean is in the beginning, God created some strange place up in the sky where only he lives and where don't you wish you could get there kind of thing. And earth is, oh, well, this is where we end up and it's second rate and not that good. And I think anybody could just read Genesis 1 and realize that's not what those words mean. It's very simple what they mean. You just read through the account. The heavens are where the birds go later on in chapter right. 1. And it's what's up above. Um, and earth certainly doesn't mean globe. To... I, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, uh, just to close the loop on the plural thing. Ah. It's plural in Hebrew. It's plural in Hebrew. Which... But that's be- mm. not because there's multiple skies. It's because there's so much of it, we just pluralize it. I mean, what, what's the idea there? Oh, I see. Uh, that's just the Hebrew way of referring to what's up there. The skies. The, yeah. There, the there, heavens. There isn't a singular heaven in the Bible. There's no, there's no singular way of referring to heaven. Not in the Hebrew Bible. In the Hebrew language, in the Old Testament, it's always the heavens. It's By nature, a, it's plural. It's a plural Is word. there anything in English that's that way? It's just it's always plural. You, you can't singularize it. Mm-hmm. I just don't have a category for that. Mm-hmm. English word that is always plural. Here, 12 nouns that are always plurals. Oxford Dictionary. Trousers. <laughs> <laughs> scissors. Yep. Yeah, yeah you don't you pick don't up get a, scissor. a scissor. Yeah. Glasses. Mm-hmm. Like eyeglasses. Mm-hmm. Clothes. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Put on your clothes. Yeah, you'd never say that. I'm going to skip this one. I don't know what this is. Marginalia? I don't know. Oh, marginalia. Shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> Loggerheads. Cahoots. They're just getting weirder. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Clothes and scissors. 
Mm-hmm. Glasses. Mm-hmm. Those are all examples of a English word that's always plural. So yes. is that the same thing here? Uh, uh, yeah, it's similar in the. I'm looking up uh, in the standard Hebrew grammar by Wilhelm Gesenius. Uh, he calls it a plural of extension. So there's a handful of Hebrew words that are always plural mm-hmm. because they are they're seen to be made up of uh, multiple complex interacting parts. So uh, water Mm. is in Hebrew, always the waters. Uh, Yeah. Um, And I always call it the internets. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's, right, there's so many moving parts to it. There's so many moving parts to it. So, so heaven, base meaning, simple meaning of the word heaven, or the heavens in the Bible, is the sky. So when you told me this originally, my initial question is, is that where an ancient Israelite, ancient Hebrew thinker thought God was in the sky? Right, right. So this is what, yeah, this is what's interesting, is that there are um, many places in the Old Testament where God's space or his presence is placed in the sky. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that it's um, almost always poetry. Hmm. Um, and, and specifically, if you read those passages in context, it's almost always connecting the location of God's presence in the sky with some kind of meaning as an image of something. Um, so I just threw two examples in your notes. Um, Psalm 11 uh, says the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne or his throne in the heavens. From there, he observes everyone on earth and his eyes examine them. So what do we mean when we say God's in heaven? Well, heaven's up high. <laughs> it's up above everything. Mm-hmm. And that's the place from w- that gives God a vantage point to look down and see everything that humans are doing. So the image of God presence being up high is an image of his status above. It's his vantage point. It's an image of transcendence. Yeah. Um, so another example is Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. And this is really, if you just do a word search in the Bible of heaven with the words throne or kingdom or rule, you'll just get a, a ton of hits. Um, so when the biblical authors want to talk about God as the king who rules or has a throne, they'll often uh, place that throne in the heavens. In the skies. Which you, it makes sense in English. We, we have even the idea in English of to be exalted, to be exalted over something means that you're more important you or you, you have authority over it. So when the biblical authors want to use images to talk about God's status, he's the king, he rules, they um, place his presence in heaven. So it's always poetry, and it's almost always connected to an image or a metaphor. So could we sit, you know, Moses or David down and be like, now, do you really think God lives up there in the sky? And they, yeah, what would they say? And I I have, I don't know, I have no idea. They, like the, we tend to think of these ancient ancient people groups as being primitive or simple-minded. Right. 
And uh, clearly not. Clearly, these authors wrote some of the most brilliant literary works mm-hmm. that we still read today. So they're not dummies. <laughs> um, and they know, but how they to... just did, but they didn't know certain things that we sure. take for granted. Yeah, like yes. the earth the earth isn't flat. That's right. Earth isn't flat. The earth doesn't have a solid dome over it, um, as is envisioned in <clears throat> Genesis one. The earth, right. the earth isn't flat. Doesn't float on a sea. Because that's that another thing. thing you 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 showed me. You kind of diagrammed it out. Was that the kind of ancient understanding of of this whole space is that you have earth. It's flat. Mm-hmm. It's built on pillars. Yeah, yeah, the pillars the of the earth. Mint, yeah, whatever. <laughs> firmament. Uh, right. W- well, that's um, or no. no, that's just the land. That's the, just the land. The firmament is oh. um, how the King James translated the dome. What's oh, refer- the, dome. the dome. Okay, okay. Yeah. So there's the the, the earth. There's the dome, mm-hmm. which is above the earth. Yeah, it's that blue thing. The blue. Yeah, when you look up blue. and you just see blue around you, it does kind of look like a dome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. then, and that's the firmament. That's in King James. It's the firmament. In <laughs> many English translations, it's called the expanse. The expanse. Um, Such a great word. In the New Revised Standard Version, it's called the dome. And in Hebrew, it's the rakia. It's the, which means a solid thing that has that which has been hammered out smooth and it, like a shield. Mm-hmm. Curved. Yeah, we're, yeah, big curved thing. So the so that's the the rakia. And that's which, different which, than the heavens. Which gets named the heavens. Oh, okay. In Genesis 1, God makes the rakia, and, and he called it the heavens. Um, it, so that's where the birds go. Uh, so in their conception, the blue thing is solid, uh, and, and there's water above it because um, occasionally water comes down yeah, from there. <laughs> yeah, so it must be coming from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but not all the time. It's just sometimes. Sometimes. Which means there's some mechanism right. to release the waters and in Genesis 7. And are the ideas the stars are like in The windows. In the it? stars are, are um, yeah, the stars are uh, shining objects placed in the rakia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so it's just a different conception of... Yeah. of now, if you sat Moses cause, down and you said, explain to me the rakia, mm-hmm. you'd be like, yeah, it's this dome. Mm-hmm. It's this solid thing. Mm-hmm. And the stars are in there. And mm-hmm. and God's throne is above it. And God's throne is above it. Yeah. And if you said, is God's throne really above it? Or is that a metaphor? Yeah. He, then he, he would also say, well, God's throne is also in that tent that's in the center of the camp. <laughs> but that's getting ahead of ourselves. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I guess my point is, yeah. they're not dumb. They're not, yes. But that is how they thought of the world. Correct. That was Their, their cosmic geography was flat earth, solid dome. The earth's floating on a deep abyss of waters because if you dig down far enough, you eventually get to water. So, right. you, but so how does it not sink all the time? Well, God put it on pillars. On pi- oh, There's that's the, why the pillars. The foundations of the earth oh. keep it suspended above the, oh. the watery abyss. Okay. Yeah. So it's just the biblical conception of the, the physical construction of the world. Yeah. So, so the biblical authors refer for them that. The highest, most exalted place within their cosmic geography is to be above the heavens or in the heavens. Yeah. And so that's where they envision God's space. And you think if you would have pressed them, they'd have been like, "Yeah, I don't know. It's just <laughs> I'm just trying. We're it's up high, right? It's up high. It's exalted. It's exalted. Or transcended they... overall. Yeah. Just because a biblical author uses a metaphor or an image, doesn't mean the thing he's referring to isn't real. Right. It just means that we shouldn't mistake the reality for the metaphor. The metaphor is trying to give us 
a grasp on something that's so real, we, we can only describe it as being like things that we experience or something like that. I guess one th- the thing I would wa- want to know, though, is wh- is it possible that the author didn't know they were using a metaphor? C- correct. And that is the question when we're talking about cosmic geography right. here. You know, did, did the author of Genesis 1 think, uh, it's not actually solid, that blue thing in right. the sky, but I'll just say it is because that's what all my neighbors think. Like, right. no, actually. <laughs> you thought that. Yeah. And then if he said, if you said, is the throne really above it? He'd be like, I don't know if it really is. It'd be... Sure. But, but so this is where, but we can't stop here because um, the biblical authors didn't think that God's presence in space was limited. Okay. We know that they believe that God's presence was accessible here on earth right. and that God's space in heaven, his throne in heaven overlapped with earth. So that, but the, to me, that's a clue. That for them, it's... Not so simple. It's not that simple to just say, well, that's what God lives up there. Right. He also lives down here, and those are both true at the same time. So obviously there's some sort of complexity in their thinking. That's right. So this kind of leads to the next thing. When we want to talk about God as exalted and ruler overall and and separate and transcendent, they'll talk about his throne up in heaven. Mm -hmm. But the biblical authors also have a conception that God's space that is exalted is accessible and overlaps here with Earth, where we live. It overlaps, it intersects. And this is where really the whole biblical vision of what temples are unfolds from that idea, the overlap of heaven and Earth. So in the video, we drew those with uh, the two circles over the Venn diagram mm-hmm. overlapping. So to say that sky is overlapping with Earth, all of a sudden you're like, no, 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 that was a metaphor. That's yeah. We're talking. Yes. We're, we're talking about something else now. That's right. We're talking so, about God's presence. Yeah. So you have the, this literal idea of the heavens and the earth, Genesis one one, the yeah. sky and the land. Right. But then biblical authors will use the sky as a way of talking about the nature of God's space, that it's high, it's transcendent, it's authoritative, it's where he sees everything and rules everything. And earth is where we live. It's below the heavens. It's subservient to. Right. But then to talk about heaven as God's space where his unique presence is and that it overlaps with earth, you have to say, okay, we're dropping the, the sky thing. The sky thing. And now we're talking about just heaven if, as God's personal presence. Because if we just had the sky thing, then we wouldn't have this sense of God's presence with us. Correct. Which is which yeah. is an important understanding. Yes. Which then brings us to the the, the idea of the temple. That's right. Israelites, but not only the Israelites, this, as far as we can tell, was a, a, a common conception among Israel's neighbors, too, that temples are this place where the divine space and human space meet and, and overlap. But for Israel had the conviction that its God wasn't just a tribal, regional God, but the creator of all that is. So this is the overlapping of the creator's divine space with, with human space. The story, there's a story in the book of Genesis where this gets unpacked, and it's really cool because it's about this very concept of the surprising places where heaven and earth overlap. Um, And it's the story of Jacob's 
dream at, at night out in the field in yeah. Genesis chapter 28. Um, so he's, uh, he's running from his family. Uh, his brother wants to kill him. And uh, so he has this, he's hungry and tired and running away, and he goes to sleep in a field, and he has this dream. And in this dream, he sees um, a, a, a ramp, or it's sometimes translated a stairway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely not a ladder. Like Jacob's a, ladder. Yes, even though that's become really a popular way of it. So it's don't think of a ladder with rungs. Okay. Think a huge stone stairway. Mm-hmm. Or like would have been part of those. Um, what are those called? The uh, the ziggurats. The ziggurats. The, yes, or a ramp. Sometimes those were uh, weren't stairways, but just steep inclined ramps, so they could roll things up and down them okay. and so on. So the, actually, the word occurs only here in all of ancient Hebrew literature in this oh, really? story. So we're not, so we don't really know exactly what not it is. precisely. Is it a stair? Is it a ramp? But the but it's the kind of ramp that would be on the ascent to an ancient temple. Okay. Um, and what he sees are cool. the inhabitants of God's space, mm-hmm. which are angels, so God's messengers, um, and they're ascending and descending from God's space on the ramp. Yep. So, like, to an ancient reader, they'd be like, "Whoa." He woke up and there's a temple there. Or no, he's dreaming about a temple. Yeah, he's dreaming about a temple. Somehow this, yes, that's right. He's dreaming about a temple. He'd be like, oh, he's dreaming about yeah. a temple. Where a place where at. heaven and earth meet yeah. and where the divine space is all of a sudden open and accessible. Some big, to humans, amazing temple. To human space. Angels are coming down. Yep. So he, he wakes up from the dream. So God speaks to him and affirms the promises to Abraham to him. And then he wakes up from the dream and he says, oh my gosh, God was in this place. And... I didn't know it. And so he names the place Bethel, which, which means house of God. Mm-hmm. And then he um, makes an offering on some stone altar that he makes. And then later, an Israelite sh- shrine temple is actually built on that spot that the prophets refer to and so on. So, so God's space and human space overlaps. Mm-hmm. And heaven is meant to overlap earth. But Jacob lives in a world where that's surprising. Like, it's not just you walk around to any corner and be mm-hmm. like, oh, here, here's where heaven and earth overlap. Here's a hot spot. Yeah, it's like, you're, it's surprising. It's somehow heaven and earth. It's like for us, I walk around the city and expect to have Wi-Fi everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it's like someone coming and being like, whoa, there's Wi-Fi everywhere. And they expect it just to be in like a couple spots. Hot, hot spots. Hot spots. That's what we call them. Right. Yeah. A that's, Wi-Fi hot that's the phrase I've, I've come to use. for. I've heard this. you use that phrase. Yeah. I think that's why it came Yeah, hot, hot spots of God's presence. So Jacob realizes this is a hot spot. This is a hot spot. And so he builds a temple there. And then that temple, or excuse me, he makes an offering. Later, the Israelites build a temple there uh, to, yeah, enshrine the idea that this is one of the special places where heaven and earth overlap. And so here's Jacob going, whoa, something's happening here. Yes. There's yeah. There's a divine presence here mm-hmm. overlapping mm-hmm. Um, in, in a way that it's not other places. Yeah, that's right. Now, um, to, j- to get ahead of ourselves, but because it's a cool illusion, um, Jesus refers to the story. Hmm. Yeah. So there's a story in John chapter 1 where Jesus uh, approaches a guy named Nathaniel. And says, hey, you're a really, you're a man of integrity. There's no deceit in you. It's the first time they've met, apparently. <laughs> and Nathaniel's like, what? How, you don't know who, how do you know who I am? 
And Jesus says, oh, I saw you hanging out under the fig tree earlier today. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what? You're, you're the son of God. Like, who are you? Mm-hmm. And then he says, listen, you think I'm impressive just because I saw you had a fig tree? Yeah, saw you prophetically under a fig tree earlier today. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending. So he's quoting that story from okay. Genesis 28. You will see heaven opened. And you're going to see a place where heaven and earth meet Hmm. and where heaven has a highway going to and from earth, from God's space. But it's not the stairway. He says you'll see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, which was Jesus' way of referring to himself. So Jesus has taken up the story about a unique meeting place of heaven and earth, but he's made himself the, the stairway, the ramp. Yeah. So you think it's impressive that I knew where you were earlier today. But actually, I'm, I'm calling you to join my circle of followers as the, the people who understand that I, I am the place where heaven and earth truly meet and come together. It's very, very cool. That is cool. Yeah. So Jacob stumbles upon a place where heaven and earth overlap. Is this the first time that in the Bible that we have that that realization that heaven and earth overlap? Actually, it's just a it's a good illustration of okay. the story of the the surprising place where heaven and earth overlap. But actually, the first time it occurs is is the whole vision of what the Garden of Eden is mm. in Genesis chapters one and two, where all creation is depicted as. God's space yeah. and human space at the same time. So you get all of you get this temple imagery connected to Genesis one and two, like the seven day process right. um, of Genesis one. Uh, it was John Walton, the Hebrew Bible scholar, who drew attention to this that the seven day process of Genesis one has an interesting connection to the seven day consecration feast that Solomon had when he inaugurated the temple in Jerusalem. And we know of this from other ancient Near Eastern texts Hmm. of this practice. So he thinks Genesis 1 is alluding to this. To a celebration. uh, Yeah. A temple celebration. A temple celebration at the completion of all creation in Genesis 1. Um, And then it's actually all of the garden imagery is temple connected because mm-hmm. if you go read the descriptions of the tabernacle and the temple later on in the Old Testament, they're using all of that garden imagery to describe the inside of these sacred spaces. So the first idea is that all of earth is a temple. Yes. Or at least yeah. a garden. Yeah, or the earth is heaven. Or the earth is heaven. <laughs> the heaven is earth and earth is heaven. They overlap. The, uh, God's space and human space, as we say in the video. <clears> and over, I think what's overlap. confusing that, and we say earth is heaven, we're, we're using that in the English way, not the Hebrew. The skies are the Correct. Earth. Yeah, we're right. saying God's yeah. space. Is God's... that why you always use God's space instead of heaven, just to uh, bring yes. more clarity? That's right. Yeah. There's heaven literally as sky, right. and there's heaven as an image 
or metaphor of God's space. Mm -hmm. But God's space isn't only up in the sky. It's also here on earth. It's here on earth. Yeah. And in the story of the Bible, it begins with God's space completely overlapping with human space. That's Mm -hmm. the ideal. That's the whole point. Yes. Um, Is for God and humans to be in the same space. So that's the image of, of the Garden of Eden. That's why all of the temple imagery echoes back to the Garden of Eden. That's why uh, the description of the new creation in the prophets also goes back to the Garden of Eden to describe this ideal vision of where God's space and human space overlap. So uh, another interesting story we didn't t- talk about in the video is this, is this is how the Israelites conceived of their temple. Um, so the story in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah has this, he's in the temple in a vision, and he s- sees the God of Israel, mm-hmm. but it's all cloudy. But what he actually sees is God's lower half. He says from the waist down, he saw the train of his robe, so from the waist down, filling the temple. So he sees the lower half of a throne and the lower half of these royal robes flowing out into the temple that Mm -hmm. becomes smoke in the vision. So where's God's top half? So it it almost certainly hits the ceiling. (laughs) The temple. Yeah, so it's an image that like God's lower half is right here. And that his top half, it's almost like the temple has a portal in it Mm -hmm. to God's space. Got it. Heaven. In the same way that that ramp thing had a, mm-hmm. was like a portal. Yeah, that's right. So Isaiah's vision of seeing the lower half of God is this similar to Jacob's vision of the ramp. It's God is simultaneously in his space and in our space mm. at the same time, and that's, that's heaven. Um, and that image gets unpacked later in the book of Isaiah in chapter 66. God, God says um, in the first verse of that chapter, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Mm. Where then is a house that you can build for me? Right. So, uh, Bethel. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So it's acknowledging even like, listen, actually, all of creation is heaven, the skies, which are, which are yeah. over all of creation. That's, that's my where I sit. Throne. Yeah. And the earth, listen, the whole earth is my footstool. Right. So this temple is a place where heaven and earth overlap. So if I were to be here, my presence was going to be here fully. It would. I would I would be sitting across all the skies and my yeah. feet would be Take resting up off all, the, all earth. the earth. That's right. So if you're going to think about this as yeah. in this metaphor, it's big. I mean, yep. Yep. I'm everywhere. I'm everywhere. Yeah. And that's what Solomon he has an interesting prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8 where he inaugurates the temple. And he has this prayer. And his opening prayer is, Oh, God of Israel, creator of all, the heavens and the highest heavens can't contain you. And then he says, so how much less is this little house temple able to contain you? Right. That's his inaugural prayer is yeah. to like diminish the importance of the temple. Make this beautiful, amazing temple and be like, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. not so great, is it? Yeah. So, so once again, I think we're seeing the sophistication of these people Got that it. for them, they, they, didn't, they didn't actually think this is the only place where God lives in this little building. Yeah. We got him in here. He's yeah. ours now. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For even the, for them, it's an image. It's a pointer to the reality that all of heaven is God's temple, all of earth is his footstool. He's everywhere. But this temple marks a unique hotspot. There's something unique about this space mm-hmm. where God's presence is specially accessible or present with his people. In the same way, there was something unique about Bethel. Correct. Yeah. He had that dream. Correct. Can I 
so you just said the heavens, even the highest heavens. Mm-hmm. What's what's that about? Yeah, like, is there layers of heavens? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's one. Let me just look it up. It's a very fascinating. First uh, Kings eight. I think to put here we go. First Kings eight. Okay, this is so interesting. Yeah. So what he, what Solomon says in First Kings eight is he says, "Can God really dwell on earth? The heavens." Even the heavens of the heavens <laughs> cannot contain you. How much less this temple. The skies of the skies. Built. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, interesting. It might be. It's almost an absurd image, literally, kind of the way we might say a gazillion or something <laughs> like that. It's like, oh, yeah. We just mean My like, germs have germs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard that? No. no. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm, like, so, I'm so sick, my germs have germs. Yes, I'll kill you dead. Something. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's taking something that we know there's a limit to and, and, and then it giving, giving it an even greater limit or something. It could have been that, but could it have been that maybe Solomon was like, who knows what's beyond the skies, maybe more skies? Yeah, I, I think that's true. So this led, we know it led to later on tradition and speculation about light. Le- yeah, like layers or tiers of heaven. Um, there's there's a unique passage. Paul refers to a vision that he has mm-hmm. in uh, Second Corinthians, and he calls it the third heaven. I mm, think. Do you that's know? right. He says, "I know a man speaking of himself." Where is se- this? This is in Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Paul refers to a vision that he has, and he go- he talks about himself anonymously. I know a man. In Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether I was in my body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things. So Paul's talking about a very powerful vision he had where he was in God's presence. Yeah. He calls it the third heaven. He calls it the third heaven. Isn't that fascinating? And we don't know what he means. Well, I I think... What, what Paul's using is an image drawn from this uh, Jewish tradition of speculating about tears of heaven. That might have started with Solomon. Yeah, yes, yeah. Or that Solomon is expressing part of something it. of that idea, <clears throat> too. Isn't that it's, interesting? Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, the third, the third heaven. What is that? Second Corinthians 12. Yeah, Tritu Uranu, the third of heaven. Do you want me to see what some commentators say about that? Sure. Paul Barnett. Let's see what Paul Barnett. That's a good commentary. Um, What does Paul mean by his use of the third heaven, asks Ralph Martin in his commentary. A survey of all the existing literature provides no clear answer to the question. Okay. (laughs) The New Testament is relatively silent concerning the number of heavens that we know exist in other Jewish cosmology. The idea of the heavens of the heavens line up to a threefold division. Oh, 1 Kings 8, he references in this threefold division, we know from other literature, there's the atmospheric heaven, a stellar heaven, and then the limitless spiritual heaven of God's space. Oh, that's interesting. So they're saying that this is ideas acknowledging there's where the birds go. Mm-hmm. There's, there's where, the stars, where are. the stars are, that thing, uh-huh. the rakia, And then above that, which is God's transcendent kingdom space. That's interesting. But this conclusion is not certain for in other Jewish literature, there are different numbers of tiers of the heavens. Right. Anyway, okay. That was a long aside. So, 
But here's the significance, if I can try to mm-hmm. summarize, is that it, it's important to think about where does where does God live? Mm. Where is God's divine presence? And the first mention of it is um, with us. It's it's in mm-hmm. it's just everywhere. It's, it's heaven and earth connected it's, together. It's, it's creation. Yes, creation itself is God's space. Yeah. Yeah. And God's with Adam and Eve in some special way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's the ideal, it's the ideal vision of the purpose of humans to be these partners with God in heaven and earth, but a place where humans have freedom <clears throat> and responsibility to work with God and the Garden Commission. And, that kind and of if thing. that's as far as the story went, and we needed to name the mm. idea that God's presence was there. Mm. You wouldn't use the word sky. Mm-mm. We would just mm. we would just say here. Here. <laughs> <laughs> just, Where does God live? Here. Yeah, God's in this place. Yeah. And as Jacob says. God yeah. is in this place. Yeah. Then later we start hearing biblical authors refer to where God's presence is as the is in the sky. Mm-hmm. And and so, mm-hmm. and that's where the word heaven, that's, yep. yeah. that word literally means sky. The word literally means sky. And then we took it to just mean, oh, it's the place you go to when you die. Mm. Um, but, mm. or, but really, it's just the sky as a way to explain how God's presence is transcendent mm-hmm. from us. It's mm-hmm. higher. It's got more mm-hmm. authority. And, and very often, talking about God's space in heaven is in the context connected with God's rule or kingdom or authority. In the Old Testament, there's no concept of you going up to that space. Mm, at you, all. What yeah. about Elijah? Or uh, didn't someone get zapped up? Yeah, uh, Elijah is yeah swept up into the heavens. Uh, but the whole point is those are so unique yeah. and unrepeatable. Right. That that's not... No one else is going to get beamed up there. Yeah, no. Yeah, humans go into the dirt. In the Old Testament, you go, you're buried. That's where you go after you into die. Sheol. Into uh, the grave. Into the grave. Uh, um, so the whole point is that the idea of humans going up to God's space in the heavens, that that's not a hope or portrayed as something. That's not the point. The, actually, what's way better is for God to come here because this is where we live. Yeah, God's kingdom is going to come and, and, be, and here. be here. And be here. Temples are the are the pointers to the reality that God's presence should, ought to, and will one day once again permeate all of his world, just like it was back in the ideal. Um, Which raises the question, well, where did it go? Where did God's space go? Um, Why is Jacob surprised? Why, Why is it random, remote, unique places where you meet God's presence and find heaven? Yeah. Why isn't it everywhere anymore? And that is how this whole set of concepts is a really cool way of looking at the story of the whole Bible as the story of the union of heaven and earth, the reunion of heaven and earth. That's it for part one of Heaven and Earth. Up next is part two. We're going to talk about Jesus 
and how he he thinks of himself as as Jacob's ladder, although we talked about how that's not really a ladder, how he said, tear down this temple and I'll build it back in three days, and how he's referring to himself as the temple, uh, as the place where heaven and earth connect in himself. It's a really great conversation, so join us for part two. If you haven't watched the video, it's on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash thebibleproject. So check them out. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash jointhebibleproject, and Twitter, at joinbibleproj. Thanks a lot for listening, and we'll catch you next time. in my head.